Welcome to the Bounce Podcast. I'm Bob Lapine. I'm the pastor at Redeemer Community Church, and I'm also a part of the board of directors for the Great Commission Collective. The Great Commission Collective is the organization behind this podcast, and our goal is to plant churches and strengthen church leaders. We want to see healthy, gospel-centered churches planted all around the world. You can find out more about the Great Commission Collective on our website, gccollective.org. And I mentioned churches that are gospel-centered. We talked earlier this season about the difference between being Bible-centered and gospel-centered. In today's episode of The Bounce, we're going to talk about the importance of a healthy theological foundation or framework in a local church. Theology can't be neglected or ignored. Theology really does matter. And somebody who believes that passionately is Dr. Jeremy Kimball. Jeremy is a professor at Cedarville University. He has also served in pastoral ministry for eight years. He currently serves as a co-leader of an adult Sunday school class at Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville. So he's a churchman. He's also an academic, and he teaches undergraduates about the importance of theology, systematic theology, biblical theology, ecclesiology, hermeneutics, homiletics, discipleship, all of it. We had a chance to talk with him about the state of the union when it comes to theology in local churches and to talk about why theology is important. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for having me, by the way. I appreciate that so much. And and I wholeheartedly believe theology, though that word could be, like as you say, Bob, a very scary sort of word or an intimidating word, the reality is theology is simply our beliefs or our convictions about God and how all things relate to God. Well, if that's the case, everybody has a theology. Everybody has a thought, a conviction, a belief about God and how things relate to Him. And so, I think when we define it that way, we help people recognize we're actually already doing this. Let's just do it in the way the Bible tells us to do it. Yeah, I've had these conversations with people over the years where they've said, I... I'm just, I don't want all of this theology stuff. I just taught, tell me about Jesus. And I've said, well, who is Jesus? And they say, well, Jesus, he's the son of God. And I said, well, don't give me all that theology stuff. You know, so <laughs> that's right. I, I'm, I'm turning the tables on him a little bit just to say everything we talk about is really theology. If we're talking about who God is and his plan and his purposes, we're talking about theology, aren't we? No doubt about it. As soon as we get into the Bible's contents, as soon as you think about life and the way God intervenes and, and intercedes in, in various parts of life, we recognize this is theological talk. Now, I think what we can do as teachers and as preachers is to help our people by defining our terms, by clarifying the kind of use of words that we have, and not just trying to show how smart we are, who cares? We want to show this is what it means to believe in justification. Here's what it means, or sanctification, and here's what it means, and here's where it is in the Bible. That's where I think we start to see a lot of value for our people. Yeah, and this is something you've touched on kind of a hobby horse for me. When I am preaching and I come across words that are not words that we use in our normal everyday colloquial conversation. For example, I just preached on John chapter 16, where 
Jesus says, when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And I got to the word righteousness, and I felt like I needed to stop and say, let's just remember what righteousness is. Righteousness is living rightly. It's the right way to live. It's God's way for us to live as his creatures. And I'm I'm sure there were people in the congregation who were thinking to themselves, well, why are you stopping to explain something that's such a basic concept? But I'm equally sure there were people in the conversation who were saying, thank you for not just skipping over that word. Because I remember, I remember being in church and the pastor was talking about circumcision and I was still young. I didn't know what circumcision was. Right. I was lost as a goose because nobody told me what circumcision was. He was going on and on about it. We've got to be aware that in teaching, we've got people who are hearing some of these words for the first time. Yes. And I think there's two sides we could fall off into ditches. The one is to never use theological language because we don't want to intimidate people. We'll just, we'll just never use that language, never talk that way and avoid it in some sense. And the other ditch you could fall into is to say, well, here's all this language I'm going to use, but you don't define it. You don't right. uh, articulate, you don't describe what this means and what this is. And both of those don't serve our people well. I think it's brilliant to be able to stop and say righteousness. I've heard a lot of people call these kinds of terms Christianese, right? right? They're words we've heard over and over again. But if we're really pressed, do we know what righteousness is? And uh, just trying to make that clear, saying those terms, thinking theologically, but also making plain and making clear for our people what that actually is. And and we don't want to uh, dumb them down, but we do want to put them as low on the shelf as we can put them so that people are not put off by theological terms and think, well, that's just for people who have been to seminary. And, and I can't grasp that. And here's the thing, Bob, as well. I totally agree and would say as well, we want to teach it in a way that is replicable. Because if we're trying to make disciples of Jesus Christ, and we're saying, hey, you make more disciples of Jesus Christ, but we say things in ways they're not comprehending, they're not understanding, they're not following us, that's not replicable. Mm -hmm. We can't then take that, encourage them, hey, what you've heard and received here, now go and take that and utilize that as you help train others and evangelize to others. You know what those things mean. If we don't serve them in that way, that's not going to be a way they can then make disciples. Jeremy, some people see theology as problematic because they see it as divisive. Is theology divisive? Well, it can be in this way. I guess you'd say people have disagreed over various details of theology. And I think people run there very quickly. What I want to remind people of as well, though, is to say, well, there's really vast agreement on some really crucial matters. Just for example, no matter who you talk to, you're going to get some very common answers about the Trinity, for example, or who is Jesus, or what did Jesus accomplish in his death and resurrection, or who is the Holy Spirit and what is his work? What is just generally speaking, the church? What are we awaiting in terms of our our hope in last things? There's vast unity on those kind of matters across the spectrum in terms of beliefs within the church. So people tend to run towards, see, this divides us. And I want to say, well, actually, number one, it unites us by having a common core of belief. Otherwise, there's nothing to really refer to. And secondly, there's a lot that we do agree upon. And third, 
we recognize if there are differences, well, then let's let's study, let's think, let's pray, let's be charitable, yeah. let's be convictional, and uh, let's try to think these things well in terms of what matters most, what might be not quite as crucial in terms of being closely tethered to the gospel and being yep. a gospel issue. So all those things come into play to say it's divisive. I want to say, well, it's a little more nuanced than that. And I think the idea of charity that you brought up, I, I found great help in Gavin Ortland's recent book, Finding the Right Hill to Die On, yes. to say one of the reasons we've got problems with theology in our local churches is because some of us have taken secondary or tertiary issues and made them primary issues. And in doing so, we have soured the church on studying theology. Yeah, I think by, at least in my experience, maybe you as well, majoring on the minors, right? we could say, which I, I always say to my students when I get a chance to teach theology, I'm always clear to say, all theology matters. And, and they all smile because they know that this is what I love to talk about. But then I also say, not all theology is as tightly tethered to the gospel in the same kind of a way. So if you were to deny the Trinity, for example, that's a, a gospel issue and a salvation kind of issue, according to scripture. But there's a lot of intramural, we might call it intramural kinds of discussions we can have where if we disagree, it doesn't mean one is a Christian and one's not a Christian. Right. It means that we are trying to do our very best to read the scriptures, to understand what they say, and to recognize as we do that, we're going to have to keep studying. We're finite beings that have to keep on thinking through these things. And we should do so with, as we said before, charitableness and with an attitude of humility. You talked about teaching students, and I'm just wondering, are students that you're teaching at Cedarville, are they intimidated by theology? Are they annoyed by theology? Or are they hungry for theology? Yeah. So every student on our campus, regardless of major, takes two theology classes, Theology 1 and Theology 2. And of course, there's a spectrum there, right? Right. And, and I always joke, with my classes to begin the semester, I say, some of you are in here saying, man, I cannot wait to learn this stuff. Some of you are saying, oh yeah, theology one is required. <laughs> right? yeah. And I recognize that as a professor, <laughs> I get that totally. And and they all laugh and I'm like, I know, I know. So I, I want to teach in a winsome way, I hope, that's able to draw people in over time to say, you know what, I see why this does actually matter to my Christian life. But I find, Bob, overall, on our campus, students are not repelled by it. They're compelled by it. They want to learn. They want to grow. They want to think. Because here's the thing. They're in a world where people are not, as it was 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago, just receiving Christianity as a good. They're in a culture that is constantly questioning and objecting to convictions they have. And so if they if they believe in Jesus, they recognize, I need help to speak to ethical issues and cultural issues. And all that's grounded in our theology. So I find students are really anxious to learn and know and be solidified in those ways. Some of us who study the Bible and teach the Bible can be fascinated by some of the intramural theological debates. So you get into a, a subject like the doctrine of the Trinity and you start looking at ancient heresies of modalism, or we're fascinated by how all of this played out in church history and right. what is it the modalist believes. And then we get up on Sunday morning and we find that our congregation is not as fascinated by uh, the ancient debates over modalism as we were in our study of this. So I, I think the challenge for us is to teach theology accurately, but help draw the line between 
for example, an, an accurate understanding of the Trinity and how that plays out in my life, trying to live for Jesus and love Jesus every day. What coaching would you give to a pastor in terms of how we put those two things together? Well, I would say I've been very helped by a recent book called Deeper Discipleship. This talked through this idea of just being able to think through how do we bring theological concepts into our church life? Because I think in many respects, many churches might lack uh, discussion in those areas. I think pastors need to think through, okay, what venue do we have to be able to operate in, whether it's a Sunday school or adult class, kind of a, an offering Sunday morning, midweek, whatever it is, to really get into the nitty gritty of theology and think of the details that are there. We need to have a venue, a time place where that's going to take place regularly. So I would encourage you to say, how is your church structured? Like what services do you have? What offerings do you have? Is there a space and place where you are able to think through theological realities at a level with your members in a formative and a consistent way. Secondly, I would say to that point as well, as pastors, we need to think through, as a friend of mine likes to say, what's important and what's essential. And what I'm saying there is, again, I'll say, man, all theology is important. You're, you're saying there, modalism is important. Well, certainly it is. And it can be especially important for people in a context like Salt Lake City, Utah. Right. Very important. Like contextually, that's going to matter for your conversations with those who have opinions about Jesus that are different from your own. But also recognizing there's an essentialness to theology that you don't want to overload or overbear your people in ways that these details are good, but what do they need to know to be a faithful disciple of Jesus that can make disciples of Jesus? What do they need to be faithful leaders in churches who may go out and lead in a church and be theologically grounded? So I would say space and place, number one. And number two, you've got to define what is essential and to get that laser beam focus for your people and teach in that realm first, get them solidified there first. And while we're talking about something like the Trinity and a pastor is trying to make his congregation understand that this is an essential doctrine and they're going, well, why does it matter whether I believe three persons, one essence, or I believe that it's like water, it's ice and liquid and steam, right? Yeah. Well, I, I would say a couple of things to that. One, we can look at, they're not the Bible. We can look at the creeds and just see how that was defined and talked through. And, and, and why did all these creeds talk about God as Trinity? Because they recognize that actually your salvation is embedded in that. So you were saying before, Bob, an analogy about you know, who's Jesus? Oh, he's the son of God. And I think you can, you can run that same thought experiment with anybody to say, how are you saved? Oh, I believed in Jesus. Well, well, who's Jesus that you can believe in him and be saved? Well, he's the son of God. What does that mean exactly? And, and if you keep pushing, 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 you realize, oh, this gets me back to God as triune. If God isn't Trinitarian, my salvation is actually not real. And you can take them back by steps in that way. So those are a few things to say in terms of conversation. And then I, I might say to a class that we say, we're talking about the Trinity, a lot of deep stuff here. Let's read this book together called Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. 
excellent book, great tone. He hits it well historically and theologically to explain things, but not get so deep into the weeds. You think I could never understand this. I could never teach this or say anything about this. I think he does a great job with that. So good resources and just some creedal history to know why that'd be so essential and just tying it to our salvation. And you mentioned, uh, I think it's J.T. English's book, Deeper Discipleship. That's correct. Right? Yes, yeah. that's right. We'll have information about Reeves' book and J.T.'s book in the show notes as we talk about this subject of theology. Pastors will often find that when they preach a passage and they go to felt needs, they get a lot warmer and a lot more response from their congregation than when they teach something that is more theological. And, and that may prejudice us to say, Wow, I want to do stuff that's really connecting with the congregation. It's important whether we're getting positive affirmation or not. This is building block material. We've got to make sure we're pressing theological truth into the hearts and minds of our people, and it's going to be formative and helpful whether they realize it in the moment or not. Right? That's totally correct. In and of itself, there is value. So, if we believe a verse like Second Corinthians three eighteen, which says, "We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are." being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. If we believe that, we have to ask the question, well, how do you behold the glory of the Lord? And the answer in that context is you behold his glory by getting into the word of God and seeing what is there to be seen and praying, Lord, show me your glory through this means. And then, of course, as you read the Bible, you start to put pieces together. This is what theology is. And so in itself, it's a way to gaze at the glory of God and to be transformed by that. But I would say as well, Bob, that's enough in itself. But I would say as well, those pastors who would say, I want to hit on these practical issues and and note these things. I would simply ask the question, how will you speak of any of those practical issues, if not theologically? Exactly. How, How could you speak to abortion or to sexuality and gender, or how could you speak to money issues or marriage issues or or any number of things, parenting issues, without thinking through God and how this topic, whatever it is, relates to who he is and how he operates in the world. So again, I think that definition brings people back to say, oh, if God is and all things relate to him, I guess then I need to think theologically about sexuality and gender or abortion or this or that. And it it tends to bring people back to that reality. Well, there's a reason why when we read a book like Ephesians, we get through three chapters of theology before we ever get to the practical implications of it, right? Yes. That drives the whole practical conversation is these theological truths of God and Christ and spirit and church and salvation drive us then to say, now, this is what it means to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Absolutely. This is going to be a review for some of our listeners, but help us understand the difference between biblical theology and systematic theology. Yeah. So it's good to keep in mind there's various branches of theology. And so biblical theology, my friend Jim Hamilton loves to say this. I think this is really well said. It's the attempt to understand and embrace the worldview of the biblical authors. So What that means is if you read your Bibles and you go to Matthew 2 or 3, you're going to see verses in Matthew 2 or Matthew 3 that are indented or bolded. And you can look at it and say, I wonder why that is. Well, why it is is because those verses are quoting 
Old Testament verses. And so we recognize, oh, the, the Bible is not just some random assortment of books put into an anthology. These are authors who actually read earlier authors, like Jeremiah read Moses, and on and on it goes. So you see that the interweaving of what's going on, and you want to understand and embrace the worldview of these biblical authors. How do they trace themes and thoughts throughout the whole Bible? That's biblical theology, which means you need to read your Bible over and over again, seeing those links that authors make. Systematic theology then is, I mean, to put it simply, uh, Wayne Grudem says it's what the whole Bible teaches about a given topic. So Biblical theology is thinking more about the way books are structured and the whole Bible goes from a narrative from beginning to end, from creation to fall to redemption to new creation. Systematic theology is trying to ask the question, what does the whole Bible say about the Holy Spirit? What does the whole Bible say about God's providence? What does the whole Bible say about baptism? And on and on it goes. So one's more narrative focused and one's more topically focused. And it's not that we're pitting one against the other. We need both lenses to be able to come to a a clear understanding of the theological ideas, right? Absolutely. So I I tell students, we need both in the same sense. If you were really trying to dig in, if you were were a literature major at a college and you were studying J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings and you were going through that trilogy, you'd want to know the plot line from beginning to end, where all that goes, But you'd also want to trace out themes like friendship, betrayal, themes like courage, themes like wisdom. And you'd see those going through at various portions of of that text. Well, it's all the more true for the Bible. We want to think of the narrative that's there along with those major themes. As you look at where the evangelical church is today in relation to our theological foundation, I'm thinking broadly. Are you encouraged about where we are or where we're going, or are you discouraged? Today, I'm encouraged. (laughs) I'll say it that way. You know, it depends on the kinds of conversations you have, where you might be left in that. So I'm at an institution of 5,000 or so students. And when I leave this place every day, largely, I am unbelievably encouraged. I'm in the hallway today hearing two students walk by talking about their time with the Lord and communing with the Lord, just, just walking from a class somewhere else. And I think that's awesome. <laughs> so it's incredible. And I'm very encouraged by that. I'm very encouraged by people that I talked to. I was at a conference last week talking to church planters and pastors in the Cincinnati to Dayton corridor in Southwest Ohio. And I was very encouraged last week to hear the work that's going on and the way things are moving and all this transpiring there. Now, so I don't watch the news, Bob, and so I, I miss out on that discouragement. <laughs> I, I try not to look too much at those things. But of course, there are things that are disheartening culturally that we recognize. We could say, man, the fact that approximately 4,000 plus churches will close their doors this year. Mm-hmm. That's discouraging, right? But th- then I'm also I'm, I'm remembering places like GCC. And other other places as well that are that are looking to continually plant healthy churches that plant healthy churches, and that encourages me to know that work is being done and to see those things. And so I think we're in a cultural moment upheaval and some real movement in a direction that we'd say, well, that's not good, but what a moment to recognize there is genuine work to be done. And I, I'm trying to think through how do we keep leveraging college students and graduate students toward 
give your life to go somewhere, help plant a church, be in your neighborhood, be in your job, be a missionary with the gospel and make this known. And then to tell churches, let's multiply, let's multiply, let's get healthy and multiply our efforts and think through how we can do that well. That gets me going. If you can't tell, that that gets me fired up (laughs) to think through the ways in which we are and can do that. And then I think that we recognize there's real challenges, but I think that we're seeing more and more people saying it's time, let's do this. And I'm encouraged by that. You know, every couple of years, our friends at Ligonier Ministries come out with the kind of the state of theology in our world, in the in the American church. And I open that up and and read the large percentages of evangelicals who are way off on basic theological understandings of things. And you can read that and you can you can go, okay, we're, we're not making any progress. Or you can read that as a pastor and say, okay, this is what God's called me to. Let's get back to the, to the basics and help people learn what the Bible has to say about things that nobody's apparently explained clearly to them yet. Yeah. Yes. I think that you can read that and say, oh my goodness. But we want as pastors, we want you all to think through these things well and to be encouraged, not simply to say we're, we're in a bad place, but to say, okay, How are we going to move forward and ensure our people get these things in their minds and hearts? And I think one of the best ways, I'm always trying to say this to students and to members of my church, is that the best way to ensure I understand something is to teach it. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to say constantly, as as we articulate some biblical or theological idea to a class, wherever, I'm saying to students, who are you going to tell about this concept? Who will you tell? Before you leave this place, write down on paper, I'm going to tell this person this concept so that it gets in their minds to say, I'm now accountable in my small group or in my neighborhood or with my coworker. I'm going to tell them about this concept I'm learning about. Number one, it's a chance either to evangelize or disciple somebody. And number two, it ensures they're really grasping that in a way that's going to be multiplied out from them. I think when people passively sit and receive information, it's easy to forget. As soon as I have to teach it to someone else, it ensures I better know something about this. Our conversation with Jeremy Kimball today reminded me of a quote that I read years ago from A.W. Tozer, who talked about the need in our day for what he called a gentle dogmatism. He said it's a view that stands strong and firm on the scriptures and won't let go, but smiles through it all. (laughs) And I've, I've always loved that quote. I'm paraphrasing from it, but Jeremy's reminded us Theology is important. There are non-negotiables when it comes to our churches and our faith, and we need to stand firm and strong on those, but we need to stand firm and strong in the right way. We mentioned a number of resources today in the conversation, including the book Deeper Discipleship by J.T. English, talked about Gavin Ortland's book, Finding the Right Hill to Die On, the book about the Trinity from Michael Reeves. All of these are listed in the show notes along with other information, other resources that are available. And there's a link to Cedarville University. If you'd like to find out more about Cedarville and the great work they're doing, both with undergraduate and graduate students. In fact, if you're a part of the Great Commission Collective, those of you who are pastors inside GCC, you need to know that Cedarville is offering a 25% discount on all Cedarville's online graduate programs for GCC pastors, church planters, and members. So you can be pursuing 
an advanced degree online through Cedarville, and there's a discount available for those who are a part of the Great Commission Collective. In addition, there's development of a new online ministry training program that will recognize GCC's church planning modules. We're going to be working side by side with Cedarville and with young prospective church planters who are in their undergraduate or graduate studies. Priority consideration is given for children of GCC pastors and church planters to receive the president's ministry impact scholarships. And there's preferential consideration for hosting GCC events on Cedarville's campus. So we love our partnership with Cedarville University and are glad to be connected with them. Again, you can find out more about Cedarville the website is listed in the show notes. And if you'd like to find out more about what's available in the partnership between the Great Commission Collective and Cedarville, get in touch with us. Go to our website, gccollective.org. Well, this brings season one of the Bounce Podcast to a conclusion. And if you've been a regular listener, you can do us a favor. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or subscribe to the podcast. That's the best way to know when we're back with season two. We plan to launch it after the holidays in the new year. So if you're subscribed, you'll know when the next episode arrives and uh, leave us a review. That's the best way to help us get the word out to others, pass along links and let people know about the bounce and be sure to join us in the new year for season two of the bounce podcast. I'm Bob Lapine. We'll see you in 2023.